you're going to live, leave a legacy. Make a mark on the world that can't be erased. Maya Angelou. Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, where we bridge the gap between theory and practice with strategies, tools, and ideas we can all use immediately. I'm Andrea Samadhi and launched this podcast to share how important an understanding of our brain is for our everyday life and results. It's probably taken me about three and a half years of hosting this podcast, looking back now, to see how much these weekly interviews have expanded my own self-awareness by picking the brains of some of the most brilliant minds on the planet in high performance, connecting their strategies to the most current brain research, and then sharing what I'm learning with you here on the podcast. If our results really are tied back to our level of awareness, then it makes sense to me that we keep sharing the success secrets used by those who've risen to the top with the goal that we can all do the same and take our results to those higher levels of achievement. For today's episode number 260, We'll be speaking with a serial entrepreneur from Munich, Germany, Dr. Hassan Akram, who's been obsessed with high performance and biohacking for years. Since 2005, he's created disruptive companies in multiple industries, automotive with his company Matrix, brain and performance with his company Brainvincible, and real estate, to name a few, that are changing the way we live, think, and work. Dr. Hassan reached out to me as he'd been enjoying our podcast and wanted to share his perspective and journey that he thought would bring value to our audience, and I agreed. I watched a few of his other interviews, one that he did a year ago with Craig Ballantyne, who's a well-known business coach and entrepreneur from my hometown, Toronto, Canada, and this interview was called The Millionaire Monk's Abundance Formula, and it stuck out to me, so I listened to it. It was here I learned that Dr. Hassan and I have a lot of our influencers in common that he mentioned opened up his mind to the many possibilities that exist when you fully optimize the power of your brain and mind. The program he created, Brainvincible, helps those in school, sports, and the workplace to improve their communication and creativity skills, helps athletes to optimize their skills and abilities to achieve precision and regeneration, as well as helping students to improve their study habits to achieve higher grades. I had to look at who Dr. Hassan studied and what motivated him to create a course like this. And lo and behold, Dr. Hassan from Munich, Germany, took the same course that I took many years ago, where we both learned how to use the power of visualization to create what we wanted in our life and use our imagination to solve problems. Dr. Hassan learned about the Silva method when he was 16, and I came across this method while working in the seminar industry and used it in many different ways over the years. Dr. Hassan used this method to skyrocket his grades and self-confidence, and years later, he began searching for ways to further enhance his brain's capacities. I can't wait to ask Dr. Hassan about his unique perspective after he's dedicated years of study to biohacking to improve performance with some of the most unique brain training strategies that I've ever come across. Let's meet Dr. Hassan Akram, 
who's been called Germany's most disciplined man and learn from his experience to see how we can further improve our own brain's capacity and skyrocket our results to those new heights. Welcome, Dr. Hassan. It's incredible to see you again. Now, this isn't our first meeting. It's our second, but it's incredible to see you again. Thanks for being here. Andrea, thank you so much. Love being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to get right into the questions, Dr. Hassan, because I really, when I came across you and your work, I felt like we were kindred souls, you know, just I felt a serious connection to you. And uh, even though this is just our second time meeting and you're all the way in a different country, you're uh, you're in Germany right now, right? I'm in Germany. Awesome. So, you know, it really makes the world a small place when you can feel this much of a connection for someone all the way on the other side of the world. And it happened when I listened to your interview with Craig Ballantyne, and you mentioned Craig's from my hometown, Toronto. And I just felt that everything you were saying was like me. You know, you were talking about the Silva program and Dave Asprey's biohacking. And even though I don't run four companies, I thought, you know, who is this guy? I want to learn more about him. So I've got to ask, when you found our podcast, what resonated with you and our content enough that you took the time to send me a note? Great question, Andrea. So when I saw the title that neuroscience meets social and emotional learning, that's it. I had to look at your content. You know, what are you talking about? So I clicked through, I looked what you're doing, and um, I love the content. I mean, um, neuroscience and, 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 and bringing the social and emotional aspect is, I think, uh, extremely important. We already know that emotional intelligence and social intelligence are far more important in terms of practicality than our classic way to measure IQ. We already know that. So I'm obsessed with um, neuroscience in a sense. I founded a company called Brain Invincible uh, w together with my sister, who's a medical doctor. And you have the nootropic in your head. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. I just got it last night and tried it for the first time. So it tastes cool. great. But tell, tell me, what am I supposed to learn from it? Because it was only my first time trying it. What, what have you noticed or, or heard other people say? Um, so it's a nootropic. It's supposed to, you know, boost up your brain power, let you focus and, you know, make you more productive. So that's, that's the thing that I work with. You know, I work with, um, brain is something that fascinates me. And while working with brain in the last couple of years of this company, I realized that brain, you can't just isolate brain and, and just work on brain. Brain performance is everything. I mean, you have to think about your heart, your liver, your muscle strength and everything, you know, uh, is, is like, is powering up the brain. So, I mean, we're moving toward more high performance company from a, you know, just brain focused company. Uh, and uh, coming back to the nootropic, that's, uh, that's like, that's not only powers of your brain, it's also doing a lot of good things for your health. You know, uh, there are amazing ingredients in it. So coming back to your question. So this is exactly what I, uh, I, I, I'm obsessed with, what you're doing. So that's why, why it resonated with me and wanted to talk to you. 
Well, that's why I think we're kindred souls, because I didn't realize how obsessed I was going to be with this content until I started, you know, and and we're going to get into your legacy. But you told me that you wanted to do 100 podcasts, right? That was like a, a goal that you have. And it's crazy because, you know, when you launch something or you start this idea, you don't know what you're going to learn yeah, so I've, I've actually done both the sides. I host a podcast called Autonomous Vehicle Safety and Security Podcast. By the way, my first company, uh, I'm, I'm a computer scientist. So my first company is in the artificial intelligence domain, uh, autonomous driving, safety, security, that kind of thing, uh, which is still running, doing very good. Uh, and then I founded a bunch of other companies. So um I started this podcast, Autonomous Vehicle Safety and Security, which I still host. I bring in people from different parts of the world who are experts in, in, in this field to talk about technology, autonomous vehicle. Right now, I'm working on a book. Uh, the title is uh, A Brief History of Autonomous Vehicle. So uh, that's coming up uh, hopefully end of this year. And uh, yeah, so... That's what, so that's that was like my part of the being being the host. Now uh, I realized that you know I want to want to get to know more people, talk uh, in their program, uh, and share my story. So this is like will be another another journey, being the guest in various podcasts, and I've aimed one hundred. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be neat to watch you as well, and to even have you back on. Once you've reached your hundred, I'd love to know what you learned from it because it's uh, it's it's been eye opening and better than a university degree, that's for sure. Absolutely, you learn practical stuff that they'll never teach you in in in, in a classroom. Exactly. Well, I I was definitely thrilled that you reached out to um, connect and and share your experiences. So if we could, I usually start with, you know, where you began, but if we could, could we start with where you are now and look back like Steve Jobs said and connect the dots looking backwards, because here you are, you've built, you know, these successful companies. And then I heard you say that you want to help people beyond your lifetime and, you know, thinking about the legacy that you want to leave. So I wonder, looking back now, at what point were you clear with your purpose and the legacy that that you want to leave? What is your legacy? It's a great question. So um, if you ask me what point it was clear to me, it was actually from the very early stage of my life. I kind of felt that I don't, I'm not here to just, you know, uh, enjoy life and, you know, take and do nothing. I always thought that I'm here to contribute. I'm here to do something for the world and somehow something big. What, I mean, I had different ambitions and different life, life what I'm going to do, how I'm going to change the world. So entrepreneurship was really in my, in my, in my DNA Although I'm not from an entrepreneur family, I think it's, I was I was a bad mutation, and so it turned out to be a good one that I became an entrepreneur. Um, so now, by legacy, what I mean is, I mean the mission of my life is to create 100 millionaires because I think it's it's a necessity for the society. 
is a necessity for the society in a sense that you know the the small entrepreneurs they do the do the highest amount of good to the society versus one big corporation taking it all so one million millionaire is like one of one of the mission and i uh want to start from my company you know i i um my company is called matrix the uh autonomous vehicle safety and security company and this is where i want to start and i tell my people that this is exactly what i want to do out of every matrixian i want to create a millionaire and this is this is possible this is very doable i've done it uh from a very very uh humble beginning as you have uh mentioned and uh everybody can do this so now it turns out now i've been talking about 1 million now i'm thinking that 1 million is too less because of inflation and everything the value of 1 million is not 1 million ever, uh, anymore i think i should change it to 10 million you know so this is this is my ambition uh, throughout my life and the process is more interesting to me if i can hit 1 million within my lifetime or is it going to be 100000 or even a few hundred i don't care you know the fact that i have an ambition and i'm working toward the process is what i enjoy and um like you said i mentioned that beyond the lifetime thing so i think it's very easy for one person to do one great thing in their life everybody can do it much harder to do consistently good for the world much much harder what's even hardest is taking it beyond your lifetime so taking it beyond your lifetime what i mean is i want to create a system that system would go even if even beyond my lifetime that system would continue and create uh millionaires or help people and the magnitude doesn't matter here is like you know if the magnitude is like um in a scale of i will help a billion people i wouldn't mind but if it is even if it is couple of hundred people i don't i don't care the the idea is that it has to go beyond my lifetime so that i can create a system that continues to go beyond my lifetime a lot of people have done it in the history their contribution goes beyond their lifetime that's what excites me that's what really or uh, you know motivates me to do what i'm doing and when i say beyond my lifetime uh contributing toward toward this it doesn't doesn't really mean that you know wealth creation you know wealth creation is one thing one very important aspect of uh being what i've realized that i have prioritized financial wealth way too much than other kinds of wealth in my life and i wanted to change my par- i have changed my paradigm in the last uh last uh, four or five years I mean I I prioritize health number 1 relationship number 2 and then financial wealth so these are the three things that is number one priority in my life and I just did a back of the envelope calculation at the rate that I'm growing my companies my my financial wealth if I can keep myself healthy till the age of 80 and stay performing the way I'm performing today I'll be one of the very few trillionaires of the world you know because multiplication in that continues it's going to explode at one point it's really about being healthy uh 
physically and mentally. Well, what was interesting in that whole thing, because I remember when I opened up my backstory, I talk about expanding our self-awareness. Like, why doesn't everyone do what you're doing and run two or three companies or how you've got four going at the same I've got seven right now. Seven. Okay. Why doesn't everyone do this? It's because we're not taught this, right? It's our awareness in school is to go get the nine to five and you do that. And only that. And so your self-awareness changed when you went into the entrepreneurial world. And I remember back when my self-awareness changed, when I saw Bob Proctor standing there with a box of books that he wrote, and then everyone came and bought them and they were 20 bucks a, a, a book. And then I had this empty box and then I had like $140 in my hand. And I thought, Oh, so I can earn money based on something that I write. So then that that motivated me to go write a book. And so what, what I'm hearing from you is that your awareness changed. And now you want to help other people change their awareness around their ability to earn money. Is that would, would you say that's along, along the lines of it? So, sort of. So when you say my awareness changed, I have to talk a little bit about my my background again. I was not good at anything when I was in school. I was not good at sports. I was good at studies, but I was, you know, I was never the kind of a guy who learned for exams and stuff. So I was never the top grader. I was bullied at school. So I was not pr practically good at anything. Um, then I, I, you know, I studied, I did my PhD and everything. I loved what I did, but again, um, I would never win a Nobel Prize in, you know, um, if, if I continue doing science, probably I'll be a professor teaching, but I'll never win a Nobel Prize. Um, I also was not designed for a nine to five uh, um, system. So nine to five system would be a imprisonment for me. So there, there was only one thing that I think that, that really led me to where I am today. Two, actually two things, extreme curiosity about everything. I mean, I wanted to literally know everything. When, when I was a kid, when people would ask me, what do you want to do? I said, I, mean, I want to be in every profession. I want to be a doctor, an engineer. I want to do everything. So I really literally wanted to learn everything. Um, that's one thing. I wanted to know everything. And the other is I somehow knew, I don't know where it came from, that I can you know, these are the two things I had. No talents in any any of this. I mean, if I say I have no talents, this will be uh, this will be not kind of true. I mean, I was good at learning. I could learn things. I could learn things very fast. So I did have some talent. So uh, I, I'm grateful to, uh, for for um, for for universe uh, gave me this gift that I could learn things very fast. Um, so other than that, I had nothing, and I, I couldn't I couldn't be a nine to five. It just didn't work for me. I had to be an entrepreneur. Now, you, you asked me if I want um, others to inspire to become an entrepreneur. Actually not. I mean, people ask me this advice, this question many, many, many times. A lot of youngsters, especially in my field, autonomous vehicle safety and security, uh, young, talented engineers, they say, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I'm not sure. Um, should I leave my nine to five? Is it the right? Uh, right time. The first thing I tell them that 
my first advice is do not take anybody's advice. The reason is every person in the world has a very unique trajectory of life. You know, very unique. Nobody else has got the same trajectory. You know, you have your life, I have my life. And there's no way my advice would fit one-to-one in your case. So that's why I also tell people, do not ever compare yourself with them because comparison is absolutely nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense. If you compare yourself with another person, you're just comparing two different entire entity because your situation, that person's situation is totally, even siblings should not compare each other. The only person you can compare yourself to is your version of yesterday. Are you doing better than that or not? And competing also with yourself. I mean, I don't compete with anyone. I don't compare with anyone. I just want to be the better version of myself. Having said that, I don't want to inspire anybody or, or convince anyone that entrepreneurship is the right thing for you. You can be a nine to fiver if you're happy, that's it. I mean, you and you can create wealth being a nine to fiver. You can create wealth being an entrepreneur. You can create wealth being an artist. You know, the first thing is you gotta be happy. Um, here's one one funny thing that uh, I share pretty often that when I did my first I found my first company in 2005 when I was still a student. So I landed a very good automotive software deal with that company, with a very big company. Uh, if I think about the total amount, that's nothing compared to what I do now. Uh, I mean, I'm doing multi-million dollar deals now, but that money was my first deal. And I was actually um, living in a flat shared with my other uh, other friends uh, back in Frankfurt, near Frankfurt, Darmstadt, I went, went back home. I did a dance in my living room that my roommates thought that I was on drugs or, or not. Actually, they were not that wrong. I was in a heavy dopamine rush. And, and this is not very different from the dopamine rush when you take cocaine. So they're not quite wrong. I was on drugs. I don't even get that kind of uh, excitement even if I sign a million dollar deal today. Uh-huh. The reason is dopamine is not happiness. People often confuse the dopamine rush with happiness. If you're happy and you know there is nothing more um, there's nothing nothing more, it, peaceful mind is priceless. Right? Peace in mind and if you're content with your life if you feel uh, content with your life. It doesn't matter if you're doing nine to five or whatever. Yeah. For me, it was entrepreneurship. So when I, when I say that, like, you know, being happy, what is the definition of being happy to me? It's like, if you're in alignment with your authentic self, you're happy. It doesn't matter. You will have struggles in everyday life. You will have the dopamine rush in everyday life. Those are not happiness breaker or happiness maker. The fact that I am in alignment with my true authentic self and I'm doing everything, that's happiness. Well, now here, this brings us right to a word that I wrote down the other day. And I often do this. I watch people speak and then I write down a word that I want to dive deeper into. And it was about the word discipline. 
And I just love watching people with this trait. And it came up on my interview with Frederica Fabricius. She's also from Germany. And her book, uh, The Brain-Friendly Workplace, is on the Wall Street bestseller list. And just a few under her book was Ryan Holiday's Discipline is Destiny. So I'm like, here it comes again, discipline. And then I saw you were referred to as Germany's most disciplined man. So I wonder, what does this word mean to you? And what do you think is possible for people who can be disciplined over the long term? Great question. Discipline can be from, first of all, I, I think Craig is giving me a lot of credit uh, with calling me the most disciplined man in Germany. I thank him for that. I don't, I'm not quite sure if I deserve that. But um, let's talk about discipline. Discipline can mean uh, different things if you look at it from different angles. Oftentimes, people think that if you're waking up on time, if you're eating on time, if you're working out on time, that's definitely one way to look at discipline. And in terms of that, I'm kind of disciplined. I, you know, I do have a have have a have a, tr a personal trainer. I do care, take care of my health. I have some discipline there. But for me, again, the the word discipline has to fit in your personality and your life mission. You know, what do you want to do in entire life in your entire life, right? Um, if you are not going to be a Navy Navy SEAL, then the discipline of Navy SEAL makes no sense in your life. Like a lot of people in the internet that you should wake up at 4, 4 a.m. because Navy SEALs do that, right? So it's like, it's not, not necessary. I mean, a lot of successful people, they don't wake up early in the morning. Obama wakes up around 7, 7.30. Um, so I, there are also billionaires who also w wake up late, but most of the billionaires, they wake up at, um, four or 5 PM. They're very early, early riser. So I had this fascination for a long time that I want to be like the billionaires waking wake up at, at four or five. And I tried, like I tried my circadian rhythm, rhythm got messed up. I tried for a couple of days and then I gave up. So it happened time and time and time again until I reached a point when I asked myself, what would be the most important thing to me to look back when I'm 87? I mean, 87 is just a random, a random number. It's like, you know, reflecting your entire life when you're almost toward the end. And then I could find the purpose the most important things in my life that I want to want to develop. And I am from a Supi family and spirituality is a very important aspect of my life. And then I thought, okay, my spiritual enlightenment, whatever that is, whatever that could mean is very important for me. And that gave me the discipline that I could never achieve with a billion dollar motivation. You know, so it's it's really you have to look at the mission of your life and what kind of discipline is necessary for you in order to get that. And, and that is your discipline. So I have a lot of discipline in terms of, you know, my ambition. I will always do things which is in alignment with my financial goal, my health goal, my spiritual goal, you know, everyday decision, everyday things. It doesn't necessarily have to be 
waking up early every day at five, uh, working out at eight. It doesn't have to be that way. That is a fantastic way of having a disciplined life. But discipline is much more than that. You have to look at discipline in a in a grand scheme of your entire life, not those um, mundane things that you have to do repeatedly. And again, you don't have to repeat as long as the things that you will be doing is in line with your mission, with your authentic self, you are disciplined. Yeah, the only definition of discipline that I've ever come across that made sense or encompasses the whole thing is one from Bob Proctor that said mm-hmm. it's, it's the ability to give yourself a command and then follow it. So that kind of goes in line with, you know, if you want to do the thing, you desire to do the thing, you tell yourself that and then you do it. That's it. It's like Nike, just do it, right? Just do it, Nike. You know, it's important. We have to talk about the tactical things as well. Tactics are important, but tactics are not going to work if you don't have the fundamental things. There are three things that are fundamental. Um, I don't know if you have got my book yet, but you know, if you read my book, I've wrote about these three things. The so first one is your drive, you know, your desire. You know, nobody can actually motivate you to. Uh, you know, to have that drive. You cannot learn to be motivated or have that drive at Harvard School of Business. This, 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 is, this cannot be learned. Then the second thing is, I mean, you kind of have to transform yourself in order to get to the next level of motivation. The second thing is you have to believe. Nobody can teach you to believe. You have to believe in yourself. This is, again, transformational. And the third thing is perseverance. And when it comes to perseverance, a lot of technical things, tactical things matter. For example, um, in order to, like the Bob Proctor's definition you gave, your ability to make make you do something that you command. How do you do that? How do you create, get get that ability? So for me, like taking cold shower in the morning, that trains your willpower so much. You know, it's actually uh, training up the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for your control your your willpower right so you're doing it in a very very difficult context for five minutes you're you're kind of torturing yourself right and that is if you keep doing it every day your willpower is going up and then when you will have to do the same thing for another very high stakes situation you will have that muscle already toned up and it will help you transferable skills that's awesome i don't think i could ever do that cold I hear about it all the time, like Wim Hof and what he does. And yeah. I get frostbite thinking about it. <laughs> but that's it, is, it, is, it is amazing, uh, Andrea. I would recommend you to try with, you know, only face because it's it has to, uh, cold shower has to come in, in phases. Um, you try to put your, your, your face under cold water for, for, it is just amazing. It's just going to, uh, elevate your life. I know one, two, two people actually also in their podcast, they, there was this gentleman who had a, a blockage in their artery, in his artery and a couple of years of cold shower, he developed a new artery. His doctor said that he has never seen this ever in his entire life. 
So nobody knows if it's due to the cold shower or whatever, because this is not science, this is anecdotal, right? It's, there's no uh, randomized controlled tri trial, but there's a lot of benefit to it. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I also said it's, it's never possible for me, it's, but never, nothing is impossible. If you want to try it, it's going to, it's yeah. amazing. I'll try it in summertime, maybe. So I can <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, summer is a very good time to start. Well, yeah. well, so we're talking about discipline and you do the same things over and over again, over long periods of time. Eventually you get these higher levels of achievement, right? You hit the breakthrough. Like when you got your sit, your big sale, it's like you're doing something over and over again. Maybe you're not seeing any results and suddenly bam, the results hit. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wonder, you know, what have you seen over your all, all the companies that you've been working with, with when these explosive results hit? You can work for two things. Again, I'm, I'm going to come back to the fundamentals. You know, you can work for two things. You can work for results and you can work for the game itself. You know, you love the game. Now, it's kind of paradoxical. Paradoxical in a sense. If you focus on the result too much, the outcome is not always in your favor. You know, and to be to be completely honest with you, I don't care about achievements. I love my game. Now, what's paradoxical is when you love your game and enjoy your game and do not care about the outcome, the outcome somehow comes in your favor. That's what I've seen, what I've seen. Because again, the dopamine thing, if you're working for a result, if you're working that I want that pivotal moment, I want that moment where everything is exploding, I'm, I'm almost close to that moment. There will be no end. You know, like I said, I mean, there was like a small deal made me dance like crazy. Um, at one point, you'll, like just like cocaine addiction, you'll need more and more and more. And that's not, um, that's not, that's, that's kind of like paradoxical. That's not healthy. That's not healthy in the long run. You'll mix, you'll be confusing this dopamine with, with happiness. But if you're, if you're really in the game, if you love your game. So today I'm talking to you. I, there is no financial motivation from both the sides, right? But I'm loving this. Right. I'm loving this. And be sure that if I do 100 podcasts, there will be probably financial um, gain coming up anyway, because probably I'll be booked for a, you know, public speaking or my book will be, uh, will be selling more, will be selling more books or whatever, you know, I would, I would have networking with so many people. The, the outcome will happen when I don't focus on the outcome. If I keep enjoying it, if I'm keeping giving value to people, the outcome will come. Love that. That's a really good answer. That's powerful to think about because we can keep working hard and like you said, in, in sales, you get the big sale and then it's not over. You, you're, you've got to go do it again. You know, your company expects that of you now. It's not, there's no end in mind. You've just got to love what you're doing and celebrate your wins along the way and not be tied to the results, but be tied to the enjoyment of what you're doing. Yes. Yes. Then you're just happy. You know, the rest doesn't matter. If you're happy, it doesn't matter if you have a billion dollar in your bank or a thousand dollar in your bank, right? If you're happy, it's the same feeling. You will not be breathing different kind of 
air when you have a million or a billion. You will be still sleeping in one, you, like Warren Buffett said, you can only sleep in one bed. You can only have three meals a day, right? Right. right. Well, so let's go, if we could, to the Silva method, because this is what really made me feel connected to you in the beginning. Um, so we both studied Jose Silva's method, and I didn't even really know that it was Jose Silva's method until there were certain parts of seminars that I was taking that they would say, this came from the, the Silva method and we're all writing it down. What is the Silva method? And so then I started to see parts of it. And then you explained it when you were 16, you came across this method that I've heard has really skyrocketed so many people. So how did this program help you back then? Maybe even with confidence building, because you know I've got a, a 13 year old and I'm always thinking of how can I use these ideas secretly so she doesn't know what I'm doing. Um, but how have how how did the Silva program help you? Give me one second. I'll show you something. I'll show yeah. you something. Yeah. yeah. It's right here. So this is the first. So this is really the one that I bought cool. back then. Yeah. Uh, I still have that copy. Nice. I don't have. Yeah. This is really. I love old books. Yeah. So do so I. I. Yeah. So this is the book that I came across when I was I was 16. And before that, like I said, I mean, I was bullied. I was not really good at anything. Um, I couldn't speak to girls. So uh, confidence, there was no such thing as confidence. I didn't even have any confidence at all. And I tried this book and some techniques in this book. I bought their tapes too. And all of a sudden, I was a very different person. I had my, right after that, after a couple of months, I had my, even my first girlfriend. I was a very different person. Everybody, I mean, I was outspoken. I could talk. Everybody was seeing a different person in me. And time went by. Um, of course, I didn't practice all the time. And when I was, when I was in college, I, in one semester, I had a terrible breakup and I was so down and I was thinking, Hey, I still have those tapes of Silva. Those meditations were great. And why don't I listen to them again and see what happens? So I went back to Silva and I felt great again, you know, this uh, whole alpha thing. Believe it or not, in none of my semesters, I got all A's in all the things it, that was the only semester it's like wow there's something is there something correlated and then again time went went by of course i'm not doing practicing things right but they the contribution is there i mean this is i i think in some cases are permanent the 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 thing that silver brings you yeah. and then again um i told you the time when i was i was like in 2014 2014 i was uh working for a project, this is for my automotive company. I was going to Audi, which is like 40 to 50 minutes drive from here. I was going three days a week. And when I came back, I had no energy. I was in my early thirties. I was like, am I getting old? What's wrong with me? I was drinking coffee after coffee, I had no energy. And then I came across David Spree's uh, book. Yeah. And of course, learned the biohacking and everything. And that gave me so much energy. There's another thing besides those 
biohacking, like, you know, cold shower, uh, bulletproof coffee, no sugar, no sugar was a no brainer, right? No sugar gave me so much energy. So I was thinking, wow, I really have to get into this. I have to get into that. And I founded this company eventually with my sisters. There's another thing Dave Asper talks about. Dave Asper talks about his 40 years of Zen meditation. This is Silva Alpha training with technology. Wow. And I went and did that training. Oh, cool. And... That was Silva in in like in a, like ten x of Silva, like I, I would say hundred x. This is the first time I realized what Alpha is. You know, I did all these Silva trainings in sixteen. I didn't understand what it is. You know, it probably happened naturally, but when I was with the you know hooked with those electrodes, um, I was trying to increase my Alpha. It was not working. When I stopped trying, all of a sudden Alpha went high. And then I kind of realized that, okay, I have to relax, then Alpha will. So I was relaxing. So I'm really happy that Alpha is going up, going up, going up. Then at one point, Alpha is really high. I just forgot about everything. I'm really in a different dimension. I'm not even realizing that Alpha is going up, right? But all of a sudden, I consciously think, hey, my Alpha is going up. The moment I consciously think something, alpha goes down. So I realized alpha is about thinking of nothing. Letting go. Like Deepak Chopra said, meditation is about nothing. How can you tell a 16 or a 13 years old that you have to do nothing in your brain? You know, think nothing. That's kind of hard. But with by new neural feedback, though, you know, we have built those feedback centers also at Brainvincible in our company. It is amazing. You got, you hear, you see what's happening in your brain. And Dave Asprey claims that uh, you can achieve that in seven days, what others, the Zen meditationers achieved in 40 years. I don't know if that statement is true or false, I'm not in a in a position to even even comment on that, but what I can tell you from my experience, you really understand what meditation is because most of the time when people meditate, they fall asleep. Yeah. You know, they, they what was that? There was nothing. It's just you know I, I got dizzy. I got, I fell asleep, but it's not about being asleep or anything. It's a, it's a whole different dimension of your brain. It's a wonderful feeling to be in you know high alpha state. It's wonderful, relaxed, and very healthy state of being, as you know, if you're a silver practitioner. So that's my silver journey. Wow. So it was it was interesting because I just asked this question to Frederica Fabricius on our last episode about I've been trying to figure out when you get these flashes of insight in in your head, like I don't know building all these companies, I know that you would have to have had something that flashes in your head. And I always wondered, and I asked people on interviews, what is that? And she was the first person that reminded me that, you know, when you're relaxed, you're in alpha state, and then you can actually measure, like you're saying, the brain waves when you get those flashes. And is it gamma that it, or which, which one, when you get that, it goes to gamma, I think, and you can see the spike. 
and, you know, everyday thinking. So I never really thought about measuring mm -hmm. the brain waves. And yeah. then Silva was talking about that all those years mm -hmm. ago. Now they're showing, you're hooking people up and showing it. So it's not so yeah. weird when we're getting these flashes of, of insight that, you know, you talk about it. What, what do you say all those famous people like Edison and Einstein were doing this? Great question. Uh, before I go there, I think I have to correct you a little bit. You said alpha goes to gamma. It doesn't happen like that. So your brain has different different uh, frequencies. Sure. So the alpha frequency is like the, the brain waves between, I think, 4 to 12. I think 4 to 12, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And there are different frequencies. Those are called, you know, different. Um, you have uh, theta, you have beta when you're awake. You even have gamma you know, very, very high frequency. So what you're training is that, you know, four to 10. Like now I think they, they even call it alpha one, alpha two. Alpha one is the very low, alpha two is the, the relatively higher one. Or the other way around. I don't remember the exact uh, syntax. So uh, for the audience, the way you should understand is alpha is that wave, um, that spectrum of the wavelength. And then there are uh, lower, which is beta, delta, and they're higher, no, uh, theta and delta is lower, beta, gamma, omega, these are higher. Now, what we try to do is we try to increase the amplitude of those wavelengths. This is alpha training. And of course, the others are also there, present in your brain, but you're focusing to incre increase the amplitude of the alpha. This is the alpha training. So you don't really see the gamma, gamma. There are gamma trainings too. There are theta trainings too. Now come back to your question. Edison is one of my favorite. He used to, I think he's one of the guys in the history uh, who really took advantage of the theta level of um, brainwave. So theta is um, when you, it's, it's lower than alpha, it's very low when you're almost dreaming stage uh, is, is theta. So it's, it is, it is it's that, I mean, some of those statements are not yet pure science. So uh, these are more anecdotal. There are no hard and fast evidence for that, but you know, it works for me, it worked for Edison, it works for a lot of people. So you have, I, I don't, I'm, I'm a scientist. So if I make a statement, which is not backed by science, I, I feel obligated to say that this is not backed by science, but this is still there. Um, so what people say is, this is where you are extremely creative at the theta level. You get answers. And I got answers in theta level. Edison got answers at theta level. A lot of other, Einstein got, uh, got many answers in, at, at theta level. Michael Jackson got answers at that level. So they used to get the answers into their dream. Like what happened, what used to happen to me is I'm trying to solve a very difficult theorem of during my PhD and I'm not getting anywhere. I sleep all of a sudden, I have the answer. I jump from my bed and write it down. Edison was using this in a very tactical way. He was holding a metal ball in his hand, and there was there was a metal plate, and he was sitting in his desk, 
if you would fall asleep, then the ball will fall down and hit the plate and he would wake up. So he was trying to tap into his theta and get those answers and wake up immediately to write them down. Edison was doing that. So these people, they really harnessed the power of their brain. It's not only alpha, it's many other things. You know, we don't know much about the brain, right? Well, the only thing we can, we can measure is the frequency. We can, of course, do an uh, fMRI where we can also see the morphology. So there are two different views now we can have in the brain. One is, the, uh, is like the, the frequency with an EEG machine. We can see the frequency. This is the functional way of looking at the brain. How we, This is what they say, how the brain functions. And with an fMRI, we can see the morphology of the brain, how the brain structure is. So, you know, neuroscience, I mean, you're, you're a neuroscientist. Neuroscientists say that it's like, you know, looking at the stars in Alpha Centauri, right? We don't really have those cameras and everything. You know, James Webb Telescope, proved a lot of our views about the universe wrong, right? So this is the way we are able to see the brain now. So we don't really know much about the brain, but what we know is we have a lot of potential that we can untap. And people like Einstein, uh, Edison, Michael Jackson, and many others have done that. And when we talk about it now, it's not so weird, right? We were talking about this before. Like if I was to say, you know, I got these flashes of insight that came across my head in between sleep and wake, you know, if I was, you know, in the corporate world, people would think I was crazy, but it's not so crazy now if I explain that, you know, during an alpha training session, I can relax my mind and it taps me into this this place where I can get answers is that it, it's more accepted now right do you think you it is totally more it? accepted yeah it is like Craig Ballantyne my coach uh, he suggests that you write down your questions before you go to bed you know it's like the brain processes I was I was reading this book about uh, about sleep by an Oxford professor what was the name of the book uh, I don't remember the name of the book, but it's an oh, amazing book about sleep. It was, like it, be- it was probably Matthew Walker's. Yes. Yeah, Matthew yes. Walker's. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was Matthew got- Walker's book. Yeah. And we do so much while we sleep. We do so much while we sleep. Sleeping is so vital part of our brain activities. And we solve problems while we sleep. We learn while we sleep. We process while we sleep. So you ever write you, down your dreams when you wake up so that- No, I, I never write down my dreams. Okay. No, uh, yeah. I often don't remember my dreams, to be honest. That's why you gotta write them down. Bob Proctor taught me that in the 90s. So I've been writing down yeah. things when you wake up, just write down what, sometimes it doesn't make sense. And sometimes you look back, but then you get common themes that come out. Right. Tell me, tell me about um, like Bob Proctor's philosophy about writing down uh, dreams. What is, what is the idea behind it? Yeah. So it's to get common themes. So he would always say, you know, you'll have all the answers within yourself. Never ask someone else like for an opinion, like, what do you think of this? Go within. 
And he would say, you can find every answer that you want. Just close your eyes. Just like you said about the problem, close your eyes and your answers will be revealed in some way. And he would say, start writing down your dreams. And so I have this dream log from the late 90s that I started. And it's weird. It's like you, you see things and you're like, what? And, you know, dreams, they're kind of crazy. But you look at them and you can see what was going on in your waking time, maybe what problems you had, and they show up in your dreams and you can circle and make connections and life lessons can be learned this way. So I'm just looking back now, like 51, I started doing this like maybe age 28, 29. And so you can see all the biggest life decisions you've made. You get answers in your dreams and you can see, well, go this way. And you don't ever need to ask someone, what should I do? You know, those people that are like always going, what, what should I do? And you're like, I don't know. I'm not you. So I always say go within and, and find the answer yourself. You should know yourself, get like a guidance from within for where you're going. I, I really like that. You know, what often happens to me and a lot of people is when you're asking a question, you don't quite know if it is your ego, manifestation of your ego, that is telling you the answer, that your inner voice, or is it really your inner voice? What's your, what's your thought on that? That's a good one, because it, it, does your ego come through in dreams? Like, that's what I, I would have to ask Matthew Walker, that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, because because your authentic self, like you get these messages and I feel like it when you're in that dream world. And, and I read a Harvard neuroscientist, Dr. Balan Jalal. He was fascinating. He talked about sleep paralysis. And I asked him, you know, all these things like lucid dreaming and all of this. And I just wonder a lot of things that still can't be backed by science. Like you like you say, I, I have a lot of questions about this dream world that we'll have to just stay tuned in to Matthew Walker to, to learn more. But I feel like when you're in that dream world, it's not, you're not in this everyday world where your ego exists. Are, are, that's what I want to know. Are we egoless in, in the dream world? I don't know. I would tend to say almost yes in certain dreams. I mean, yeah, it's hard to say, hard to, hard to say, hard to say. So, you know, I have dreamt something in the past and then my logical brain said, hey, that's just a dream. I was kind of getting a negative vibe about, you know, let's say a venture or a decision that I would make. Ah, this is just a dream. I mean, I, 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 my logical part of the brain was saying that I should go for it. And I went for it. Turned out my dream was right. So I was probably getting an answer in the dream but I did not uh, take it seriously. I did not know that if it is my inner voice or is it my ego or, or what. I mean, this is where this is a big uh, part of my thought or my research. You know, how do I differentiate between my ego and my inner voice? But again, I think this is like a good question. Is, is dream a manifestation of my ego or is it a manifestation of what we we actually don't know much about it to be to be frank yeah but uh so if if we could go on to you talked a little bit about dave asprey and what you learned from him and biohacking um what was it about dave asprey that really changed you and 
your direction? Great question. I think the reason I liked Dave Asprey because Dave Asprey is a computer scientist. I'm a computer scientist. A computer scientist talking about biohacking. I took it more seriously. <laughs> so, uh, so what I learned from him, I learned from him very basics. I, I took really the basics. You know, don't eat sugar. It's a basic. Very. It was hard in the beginning. You know, the first few, few, few days, few weeks. But once I was out of it, I had so much energy. It's like, you know, no, no sugar means so much energy. I didn't know that. That, that was one thing. Then his, his like bulletproof diet. I don't follow one-to-one -one bulletproof. I think I have, you know, customized it according to my need. I, like I said, there is no, no one size fit all diet, I, I, in my opinion. And then I, um, I got back to this, you know, Silva thing because through through his book, like I mean, I, I got to know that this technology exists in order to, you know, meditate uh, from from him. Then I I still drink bulletproof coffee. It's like, you know, one of my one of my very favorite things. Um, cold shower. I first came across. I didn't know Wim Hof back then. It was in two thousand fourteen. I. I, I first came across cold showers through Dave Asprey. And um, yeah, I think he's one of the greatest contributors in the biohacking community. I follow him. Uh, yeah. That's, oh, uh, that's interesting because I started listening to Dave Asprey quite a few years ago. And I remember where I was on the freeway when he had Dr. David Sinclair on his podcast. And Dr. Sinclair, a longevity expert, he says, you know, we can make a mouse in a lab out of stem cells. And it just was like, what? You can make a mouse? What, is he really making a mouse from, from cells? It, it just, I was like, what is he talking about? It was opening my mind to something mm -hmm. I couldn't even fathom that they were doing, you know? What do you think about that? I love David Sinclair. You know, David Sinclair, I, I think if there's one man who deserves a Nobel Prize, uh, it's him. He He's doing amazing work. And I read his book. His his book is a, another life changer for me. You know, longevity, you know, the the, the other. In the, today, there was another podcast recording, and I was actually talking about high performance. So I said that a lot of high performance coaches these days don't, Think about longevity. You know, it doesn't really bring me anything. If I am ultra performer for three years, then my energy level goes down. Right? I, I, we have to bring the longevity in the equation. And uh, Dave Sinclair is doing a great job. Now, in his book, he talks about this kind of like, you know, stem cell. And if I want to have to simplify, very, very oversimplify the whole thing, it's like this. Your DNA gets damaged. Right. It's like Dave Sinclair calls it like, you know, scratches in your CD. Right. Now we have this certain molecule in our body, sirtuin molecule, that is responsible for repairing those damages. When you're young, the repairing mechanism is robust and you feel you get, you know, healed pretty fast. As you grow old, your rep repairing mechanism gets slower. Your sirtuins, that you don't have enough power. Your mitochondria is slowing down. There's this 
this thing they need called NAD. Uh, this is like the power cells of a person, a human being. So sirtuin molecules, there are two things you need. You need, the, you need to power them up and you need to activate them. So Dave Sinclair suggests, as you know, NMN for powering up NAD booster and resveratrol or any kind of resveratrol type. Um, and and, and uh, Dave, Dave Asper also mentioned this in the book, you know, uh, resveratrol, like the uh, blue zone thing, people drinking red wine, there are a lot of resveratrol that, um, that activates the sirtuin to prepare. So what's happening is you're repairing but what happens to the damaged cell, the cells that already got damaged? Now, here comes stem cells slash regeneration slash, you know, creating a mouse, whatever. If you can regenerate those cells, those DNAs, you literally become from 50 to 25. Right? Now, the problem, Dave Sinclair is saying that it's, there is a risk that this regeneration process will turn into cancer cells. Like out of control regeneration is cancer, right? So there are, there are a lot of research, there are a lot of you know, venture capital money. We, I, I believe in our lifetime, within our lifetime, we'll see that you'll take an injection and you'll become 25 years old and come back another 25 years later, take another injection, become 25 years old. This will happen in our lifetime. And that's exactly what Dave Sinclair is talking about. I'm not quite sure what exactly he means by creating a mouse, it's like regeneration, so you can generate the whole, whole thing. So if that happens, this is gonna be a game changer. I think, I, I believe that human be being will become an amortal species at one point. You know, will not die. Oh. At least not naturally. That's why I said amortal. Still, you can be killed or die in a road accident, but you know you will not die naturally. Well, I was going to ask you what would be the strangest thing that you've ever heard, and to me, that's almost like it. But do you have anything else? Like when I heard this, I thought, "What is he talking about?" It just stopped me in my tracks. Is there anything mm -hmm. that you've heard that's just so out there? like that like where did you get that from we're gonna be immortal we're not gonna die because we can inject ourselves what other things do you have along this line that just could blow our minds yes um so there is a google-backed startup who are you know who's researching on immortality you're trying to their companies okay i mean this is something this is a scam i believe that they're freezing your body and uh, you will wake up 1,000 years later hoping that the disease you have, probably you have a cure for that uh, and you'll be cured. Now, um, that, is a, that, is a that is one of the strangest things I've ever heard and I think this is a scam because I, I think they will be able to resurrect them. Uh, technically, that is possible, but I don't think, I, I, I doubt I doubt if there will be consciousness. So there will be technically resurrected vegetables when they, um, you know, a thousand years later, uh, if they, they, we can resurrect them. So that's one of the strangest things. That is one path of going toward not immortality, almost, because you will be, uh, probably will have the uh, 
a mortal mortality pill and if you can resurrect and take it then you're immortal um on the other hand the reason i believe that will be immortal because um death is something that is due to a certain process in our body you know aging is a is a process in our body and that process is reversible um technologically nanotechnology especially you know i mean the best thing that happened that we have learned is during covid like when we when we uh, created this mrna based vaccine and we know now we have data how mrna works right so we can use this technology we can you can actually create dna origamis you can create actually software programs that you can i mean dna is a is a is a programmable thing so you can inject those programs in your body to do dna you know genetic engineering um by the way mrna was not genetic engineering so people should not be over, should not be worried about that but that technology can be used um you know dna programming and all those for genetic engineering that can do a lot of things in our body that we can't do now i mean they can reverse that process of aging and hence i don't see any reason for people to die if we can control that another technology is nanotechnology nanotechnology means that you can actually create nano level uh object inserted in your vein this object will swim around in your blood and give you uh send signals to you or to your doctor to your app that if you have any malicious or any kind of disease growing or not so um so i think we will be we will be some some scientists call it the brain net after the internet there'll be the brain net our dna and everything will be connected to the internet it will be a massive database so there will be a lot of early warning of your diseases aging and all those so you'll be able to take measure so it's it just depends on the priority of the venture capital money or the capitalism money politics politicians priority it looks like that you know in most of the most of the post industrialization the age structures of inverted pyramid so aging is a problem we see it now right so that's why there's a lot of investment also in this field massive advancement and i think i don't think in 50 years we'll be able to reach a mortality but we will be able to reach a life lifespan of 120 for sure within 50 years and a thousand years or so i can't predict the exact but about a thousand years will be hopefully immortal if the technology continues at that space this is mind blowing and fascinating you've definitely opened my level of awareness dr hasan i never thought we were going to go this wide and deep into this so it's uh, my whole point of doing this podcast is to expand my awareness and then share your perspective with those that that tune in and uh, this has definitely done that is there anything important that i've missed from 
my questions for you that that you think is important that we should have covered? We have covered a lot of interesting things that you have asked, uh, really stimulating questions. Thank you so much for those questions, because uh, without those questions, I don't think this podcast would be as stimulating as today. I love talking to you. I love your questions. Thank you so much, Andrea. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hassan. It's been incredible meeting you and learning about your work. I'm so grateful to have found you and that you reached out to me. Thank you so much for this. You've made the world a smaller place as, you know, we connect together. And then, you know, this podcast goes out into like over 168 countries. It just blows my mind for those tuning in. But your message is inspiring, uplifting, and helpful for all of those who might be looking for some new and refreshing ideas to help us finish the last quarter of our year strong and launch us into a successful 2023. I want to thank you so much for your ideas, time, and your knowledge today, Dr. Hassan. Thank you so much, Andrea. It was amazing talking to you. Thank you. Some final thoughts at the end of this episode. I had no idea that Dr. Hassan would expand my level of awareness with some areas where my mind has never gone before. If you want to learn more from Dr. Hassan's company, I've put links in the show notes to follow his work, his Brainvincible programs, and Nootropic that I'm trying, and where you can find his book, The Million Dollar Monk. Prior to speaking with Dr. Hassan, I didn't realize he'd started seven companies. I thought it was four. But what was interesting is that this was not uncommon with people I met in the seminar industry. Most people who I met back in those early days did what they loved in the day, whether they were truck drivers, teachers, or working some sort of corporate job, they did something they enjoyed, but they had other business ideas that they ran outside of what they spent their days doing. Dr. Hassan challenged me to think that there isn't a limit to how many sources of income we can create, but in this quest for helping others with whatever it is that we do, to not be tied to our outcomes, they'll come with time. And while we're putting in the daily effort, enjoying whatever it is that we do with our day, that we can also put an emphasis on our relationships and health, because science is revealing that many of the most chronic diseases are actually lifestyle diseases and are reversible. Something I'm going to keep studying and learning more about so we can all move our needle towards health and wellness and healthy relationships that we enjoy not just in this year, but for many years to come. And with that, I'll see you a bit later this week for Brain Fact Friday, where I'll share what exactly the Silva Method is, how I use it, and how you can use it in your daily life. I'll see you then. you're enjoying the neuroscience meets social and emotional learning podcast please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes while you're there please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us for more information on our programs books and tools for schools and the workplace visit us at www.achieveit360.com 